very excited to watch more Babysitter's Club today. I recall that at the end of our last session, I was like, I cannot wait to watch more of this. And I was like, no, 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 just to be clear, I can wait two days to watch more of this. But emotionally, I cannot wait. Um, I rewatched the first two episodes last night with Alex, who enjoyed them very much. But as predicted, loved Karen. I was like, who's your favorite? And she was like, Karen. And I was like, well, she's not a babysitter, but <laughs> she's not a main character. But to be fair, like I took a couple pictures of our Netflix party conversation. And the there's one that literally is just like, OMG, OMG, Karen, OMG. It's No, it's true. I mean, Karen does have her own books. Because she has that spinoff series. Oh, yeah, that's true. Does that even have a... What, I mean, I know it has a name. I just can't remember what it is. It's like the little sister or something like that. Oh, yes. That's exactly what it is. Wait, what was Karen's personality in the books? I remember her being intense, right? Yes. She was always into this kind of stuff. This It's pretty faithful. Oh, is it? I don't remember her being super, like, into this weird-ass, like goth shit but well i don't know if she had as much time to be spooky but like morbid of destiny obviously is real karen yes. is very talkative and imaginative if i remember yes that's what i remember is that she she would like you know she would just like talk your ear off but i do remember morbid of destiny <laughs> yes i feel like this her doll seance funeral is a natural segue yes yeah okay that makes sense otherwise she was like i guess claudia and claudia is indeed so cute yes i was thinking as i made our instagram story this morning that claudia is probably now my favorite i don't know if as a babysitter but in this new series she's so cute i know she's sweet but i also really like they're all adorable yeah I also like Marianne. You know, interestingly, I asked recently, like, I asked uh, some friends recently, like, what babysitter I was, and Tori said um, that I was a Marianne. And I was like, I could see that I'm a combination of Marianne and Christy, but I just think that was so interesting. That was the first babysitter that sprung to mind. Of course, one of Katie, uh, one of Christy's, like, most, like, I don't know, defining traits is that she's obsessed with sports, and that is, like, the furthest thing I could possibly be. Yes. I mean, you're also very rule-oriented. I think, though, like, as children, we define ourselves relative to each other and to, like, our family situations, and although both Marianne and Christy have single parents, which is neither of us, I was thinking, as I wrote the, like, question for our viewers of which babysitter are you, that that answer is probably different now than when we were kids. Yes, yes. I was like, I still see, like, aspects of Christy in myself, but um, probably as a whole, I'm more Marianne than Christy. Well, also because you've now become an avid, like, cross-stitcher. <laughs> well, look, Marianne was made to be boring by her father. Is she actually boring? We don't know. We'll never know. What is adult Marianne like? Who's to say? Exactly. But I feel like one of the reasons we felt like you were Christy when we were kids is because Christy is the sort of least traditionally feminine one, and they define her a lot by that, but really personality-wise, like, who's to say? Yeah, I don't know yeah. that you're as unbearably bossy as Christy, even as a child. She is a little unbearably bossy, I must say. Alex was like... <laughs> As Alex she's was watching, wonderful. Alex was like, she's a bit much. <laughs> Let her live. <laughs> but she ultimately, she was like, she was like, oh, this is so cute. Like, I really like this. I was so glad in the second episode when she got her little hat. I was like, there's Christy. I know. I was like, she should have pulled her hair back. She always has that ponytail. Exactly. 
Although I was troubled by the mention of head lice because I was like, uh, because someone joked like you get head lice all the time. And I was like, if that's true, she should wash that hat more. I know. Uh oh. Anyway. <laughs> well, welcome to Romcomathon. I'm Alex. And I'm Kat. And this week we're talking about Down With Love, um, an older uh, do- uh, an older rom-com. Well, not really, I'm like from like the mid-aughts, but uh, taking place in the 60s, starring Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger. It's a very weird movie. Yes. Okay, so first of all, we didn't watch it for the blog because it was kind of period, so we decided it didn't qualify. I did not know what it was about or really anything about it. And I kind of thought it was a musical. It's not like a totally, you know, like I can see where you got that impression. Yes, for context. So Alex owns this movie. I'm not sure why. I had never seen it before. And I think you have to summarize the plot before we can go further. But I will tell you that in the credits, there is a musical number. And I was like, um, did you and Renee just like meet at a party, decide to do a musical number together, and that's how this movie was born, because otherwise, why? Oh, I forgot there was a musical number in the credits. I, like, exited out before that, but I do recall, yes, I've seen it before. (laughs) It was possibly the best part of this movie. Although, I didn't dislike it. Like, Matt, who was looking forward to watching this with me, then thought that I hated it and felt really bad that he had suggested that we view it. (laughs) But that that's not what happened. I just... Didn't know what was happening or where anything was going, and there there were many twists and turns, which I think you should describe. Yes, there there were. Um, so basically, Renee Zellweger plays a first time author who has just written a nonfiction debut called Down with Love, which is essentially like a, a self help book for women to like get rid of love from their life and like live like men, and which would like free them up to be more career women. Um, so like the book basically says like, yes, but you can have sex with men, but until you can like basically separate love from sex, like you should abstain from men altogether and just take up chocolate. So Renee Zellweger arrives in New York to meet with her editor and to launch her book. Um, And as part of this marketing launch, her editor has gotten her a front page story at the like premier men's magazine called No with Ewan McGregor, their best journalist, who is, of course, a cat about town, like just a slutty, slutty man. (laughs) Um, And... Ewan McGregor is uh, not interested in doing this cover story with Renee Zellweger, who comes from Maine, and he is like, ugh, she's like a spinster off a farm, essentially. And, like, doesn't take her seriously and, like, blows her off. Because um, that's what all of Maine is. Yes, of course. And David Hyde Pierce inexplicably playing a straight man in this. He's Niles! I... I know, but still. I mean, Niles also inexplicably straight. When I was little, I think I kind of thought that Fraser and Niles were a gay couple. Well, you know, based off of David Eyed Pierce, I would say that you're not like wrong. Like I kind of understood that they that it was them and their shared father, so obviously they couldn't be a gay couple. But there was a part of me as a child that believed they were. Yes, that makes sense. Please go on. Um, so David Hyde Pierce is Ewan McGregor's, like, much flavored like, editor, uh, who, like, somehow seems to own this magazine, but, like, I just don't know how this happened because he's so ineffectual. He's wonderful. He's delightful. He was my favorite part of this film. Please continue. 
so you are yeah, you are McGregor keeps blowing Renee Zellweger off. Renee Zellweger's editor manages to get her on the Ed Sullivan show, or manages to get like a publicity spot on the Ed Sullivan show, which blows up her book. It goes huge. Women everywhere are buying it, and Renee Zellweger is like, well, I don't need Ewan McGregor any longer, right? But Ewan McGregor, basically, after this book gets huge, is like, no woman wants to sleep with me anymore. They're all just, like, obsessed with, you know, getting ahead in careers. So he's like, I must, like, write an expose about this woman. Something is not right. And so he decides he is going to catfish her and pretend to be the sweetest man in the world so she'll fall in love with him. And then he'll be like, ha ha, I got you. And um, so he pretends to be an astronaut named Zip. What was it? Zip Martin? Yes. A terrible name. Yes. Um, an awful name. They go on like a bajillion dates and everything's going really well. And it kind of seems like she's she is falling in love with him. Um, because But he's like refusing to have sex with her. Right. Because he's like, it's too meaningful for me. <laughs> Or whatever. And at the same time, um, David Hyde Pierce is having his own, like, dalliance with Sarah Paulson, Renee Zellweger's editor. And their thing is actually pretty funny. Yes, they are my favorite part of this movie. But as things go on, um, Ewan McGregor, like, nearly gets caught out once in a lie. He somehow manages to wiggle his way out of it. It's very weird. And he's kind of catching feelings. Yes, he is definitely catching feelings for her. Eventually, it comes out, like, the night, like, he tries to record her, like, being like, oh, I'm in love with you too. She basically reveals that this whole thing has been a big setup from the beginning because she was actually his secretary for three weeks, um, like, a year or two ago. And he tried to take her out, but she knew what would happen to women that he took out, which was that he never sees them again. And so she decided that the best way to get back at him, or, like, to, like, make this happen, was to write this book and set all these things in motion, essentially. So this is all going to her plan. Basically, this entire thing was her plot, including, like, him blowing her off and her having to go on TV. And you're just like, this plot has, has gone off shockingly well for such such an ill-conceived plot. Yes. And, like, she predicted that he would try to, like, seduce her as another man. Like, truly. I was like, are you a psychopath? Are you an evil genius? Like, I, I don't know. Are are you a prophet? Like, what's happening? Well, it wasn't really evil because she was like, I wanted you to fall in love with me. And then he's basically like, yes, I've fallen in love with you. He's basically like, wow, no woman has ever gotten the better of me before. I find you incredibly attractive and now I want to marry you. And she's about to be like, yes. And then she's like, wait, no, I have to stand up for like all the women who like were actually moved by my book and I have to like live that truth. And so she's like, bye, you and McGregor. Sorry, even though I do have feelings for you and like pieces. And then we find out that she has become so successful that she has, like, bankrolled her own new women's magazine. And at the end of the movie, Ewan McGregor goes to apply for a job at her women's magazine, but it's mostly to tell her that he wants to be with her, and she reveals that at the end she wants to be with him too, and they get married. Also, there there was a second portion of the plotting because she was kind of like yes and i knew you would do that and then i knew you would do that and i knew you would do that and i was like is she psychic 
you know what? We all have to take down with love with a grain of salt. Okay, so here's what happened to me. I was watching along thinking it was like a normal movie and I was like, oh, interesting. Is this like a commentary on sexism that now feels kind of dated? Is it a commentary on old movies? Blah, 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 just living my life. And then when you get to that kind of turning point where she's like, I don't need you for success. And he's like, I want revenge. I was like, okay, so now he's gonna try and woo her, but he'll catch feelings instead. And then I was like, oh, like, I guess he's gonna disguise himself. Sure, sure, sure. This is more convoluted than I thought, but it's fine. I mean, basically, I was right, but I was did not see it coming that I would then be like, oh, she's been entrapping him this whole time. Yes, she's gonna marry him. No, she's not gonna marry him. Anyway, these two sociopaths deserve each other. I quite like this movie when I saw this first, uh, for the first time back in college. I think I just enjoyed, like, the lols of it. You can't take this movie- It's very funny. You can't take this movie seriously at all, um, because it's just- I discovered that. It's just one long joke, essentially. But I actually think this is a pretty good romantic comedy if, like, if you're kind of like, oh, this whole thing is just a joke. It reminded me a little bit of How to Lose a Guy. Like, it's kind of a similar setup. Like it's just not, like, serious. It's not emotional. Yeah, the characters are not, um, the characters are all really silly. Everything, the situation is really silly. Like, it's pretty, it's a fun time, though. Yeah, I, they were both very funny in it. David Hyde Pierce and Sarah Paulson were wonderful. Everyone had great clothes and apartments. Yes. <laughs> but truly, like, when the reveal happened that she had actually been plotting everything, I was like, why did I watch this? What's well, they do end up together. They do. No, no, no. Well, it kind of got, it, there was kind of an upswing, but there was a real low point where I was like, so all of that was a, pl- uh, okay. I must say it's a twist that you don't see coming. I did not see it coming at all. I found it interesting though, because like it was very much a sexism commentary from like what they at the time thought was a modern perspective. Right. But since it's been 20 years, I was like, now it itself is a little bit dated, kind of like Friends, which was very progressive at the time. Um, But it was just funny because I then looked up some reviews and one of them was like, it's conflicted about its subject. And I was like, what is its subject? Old movies? Sexism? I guess I felt like it was a comedy about romance more than like a romantic comedy. Okay. I could see that. I definitely think this falls under romantic comedy for me, but sure. I mean, it follows the whatever in that, like, they meet, they have conflict, they get together. Right. Uh, I just was like, oh, I think point of view wise, it was more commentary than like about their actual story. Right. It's it's definitely not traditional. I would say like, it's fun if you're looking for something that's pretty surface level and very stylized and like satirical. Um, but it's definitely not... I wouldn't say, like, this is the movie to watch if you're feeling in a romantic mood. No. But I really enjoyed some of the little jokes that maybe now they seem, like, passe or whatever. But, like, when they have that split screen thing where they're talking and essentially having sex. Yes, I do. That's one of my favorite sequences. And all of the dumb puns. Like, no magazine has never sold before. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, just every time David Hyde Pierce and Sarah Paulson were on screen, I was so happy yes every time they were like she was like i got you like you know guess where you're guess where you're interviewing no no yes exactly i was like this is the who's on first of these yes i i liked it 
Um, and I also liked a lot of the little time period jokes. Like, I liked seeing profiles in Courage and How to Succeed. Yeah. There was, a, like, a Bill Cosby marquee that I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Whoops. This is the early 2000s where that was still okay. It is not the time. It really did remind me a lot of How to Lose a Guy. I think that's such an interesting comparison because we love How to Lose a Guy so much. Yeah, and well, see, all of my commentary is why Matt was like, I'm sorry, because he really thought, because he was like, oh, I'm really looking forward to watching this with you, you guys should do it with the podcast, and then he felt that he had misled me, but I did, I truly, I did not hate it, I just did not know what was about to happen to me, and had to adjust. Mm, mm, Okay. But... I, I felt like it was very How to Lose a Guy-esque. They came out around the same time in terms of, like, the equalness of the size of their stories. Like, they were both protagonists. Right. And one of the things we love about How to Lose a Guy is that they do a, such a good job of putting them in direct opposition to each yeah. other. And they did that very well. And also, I felt like him going to find her at the magazine and being like, I want to publish this story about how I did catch feelings after all was very How to Lose a Guy. Yes, that's pretty good yeah i guess when you say it when you put it like this you're like yes i understand they both are working uh well i guess in the in how to lose a guy like she they're at yeah, war she's working at the ma- she's working at a magazine he's working at a pr firm but like you know like it's it's i can see the similarities now that you're bringing them up i guess like previously i did not connect the two well because that one's a real rom-com but i just feel like they're both playing love chicken yes I I don't have like that much to say about the movie. I always have a good time when I watch it. It's not a favorite. Um, and yet you're giving it away. Yeah, I know. I know. You're giving away the DVD. I know. But as Alex pointed out, like, why do I need this? <laughs> I mean, to be honest, at one point I wrote down, why do you own this? I liked it. I watched it in college. I liked it. I remember my roommate, Ariel, also really liked it. We both had a like we both really enjoyed it and i think i just like saw it for sale like really cheap and i picked it up yeah i think it's probably one of those like amoeba newberry comics purchases so i don't regret owning it because i didn't have to pay like three dollars to watch it on streaming but well you didn't have to pay three dollars to own it but i hear you i thought everyone gives a really lovely performance yeah i think everyone's very funny i think the stylized acting is quite funny i think ewan mcgregor looks nice in it uh sarah paulson looks great yeah, I'm not terribly into either Ewan or Renee, but, you know, they look good. They look fine. Um, I, it was weird to see Ewan, like, so young and skinny. Yeah, Alex was like, oh, before he filled out. <laughs> He's a baby. There was a degree to which I was like, I don't know if this is as successful being watched today than as it probably was in the early 2000s. Yeah. Oh, my God. So there was one thing that I was like, so when they... When Renee Zellweger's book is, like, selling big, Mm -hmm. they show it selling big in all the different countries. Oh, yeah. That was not a great sequence. (laughs) And, like, you see, like, Britain and then France and then China. And I I guess, to be fair, they also did Russia similarly stereotypically after. But I truly was like, why are these people passing by this essentially like Macy's window in rice paddy hats? Are they not in the city? And Matt was like, because racism. Yeah, it was it was one of those things where I think they felt like, oh, but we're satirizing all these cultures. And I was like, uh, I don't know. Britain and France got to wear normal clothes. <laughs> 
And I was like, everything in this movie is really big, but I was like, oh no, oh no, a giant portrait of Mao. I mean, not totally inaccurate, but not great. Yeah, not great. and the Russians were like carrying their like their secret books home and like putting them in loaves of bread. And I was like, oh, well. And then I was like, okay, but this wasn't produced in like the Cold War era. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess maybe they're like, it would have been. I don't know. Anyway, um, Niles had so much like Hussein in his apartment. I know. Can we just... <laughs> Like, I was like, oh, what a beautiful apartment. Then I was like, he's rich. Yes, yes. I mean, he is rich. But I guess it seems like he cooked a lot, though. Yes. No, I I just I coveted his kitchen. He had so much stuff. I don't need all these Dutch ovens, but they were so pretty. Um, So what were your favorite scenes? I mean, you've mentioned the musical number. Uh, Yes, I very much enjoyed the credits. I think, honestly, the scenes I enjoyed most were probably all of Niles and Sarah Paulson's dates. There was a moment when he, so he had, basically what happens to them is he is trying to woo her, but struggling because Ewan McGregor is such a jerk. Yes. And then Ewan McGregor is like, I can totally help you, slash trying to make his own scheme work, and switches apartments with Niles. I'm just gonna keep calling him Niles, sorry. And so he goes to Ewan McGregor's, like, swinging bachelor pad while Ewan McGregor, like, takes over his home-cooked meal, but he cannot operate all of Ewan McGregor's technology, and the house is basically attacking them. Yes. And I was like, oh my god, it's Smart House. Yes! Did you have the same thought? I didn't have the same thought, but just now I was like, oh, what a Smart House move. But truly, it's like the, like, fold-away bed thing is coming in and out. The lights are turning on and off. I was like, oh, no. No, it is exactly Smart House. Um, But I think I also just loved, like, later she was like, and then, you know, like, you make me think it's like a whole scheme where you switch keys with the lead and, like, blah, blah, blah. And Niles is like, I did! I did switch keys with the lead! And then she rushes out of the restaurant because she's like, you don't even really want to marry me. And maybe also racist, but I laughed. I, I think my favorite was Niles being like, where's my geisha? I need my shoes. Oh, Niles. Anyway, he's just, he's struggling. There were also a lot of things that I wondered if they were a reference, like Ewan with typewriters and with like big giant moons. I think they were all sort of references to films that take place during that period, which were often like, like sort of big um, and, you know, kind of like feel like they should be musicals. But I feel like this was like a year or two after Moulin Rouge came out, so it was very hard for me to ignore Ewan McGregor with a typewriter or with Ewan McGregor with a giant moon hanging in the sky. <laughs> That's fair. Also, later when they're getting on the helicopter at the end, he and Renee Zellweger have like an I love you, I know. And I was like, and also Star Wars. Where's the <laughs> Chicago reference? Um, I quite liked... A lot of the scenes with also with like David Hyde Pierce and Sarah Paulson. I particularly enjoyed the sequence though, that phone call that you've mentioned between you and McGregor and Renee Zellweger, um, where they are basically stimulating many sex jokes or simulating, I guess. And then I also like some of the smaller exchanges. Like I like it when Renee Zellweger first shows up and she goes to a board meeting and all the men at the board meeting um, introduce themselves with like various initials. And then there's kind of like a who's on first joke. Yeah, there's actually a thing in that where Timothy Omenson, where they're all like asking Sarah Paulson to get them coffee, and one of them says Senka. Is that how it's pronounced? I don't know. Is it T? I don't know. Because Matt was like, what is that? And I was like, maybe it's a word I've been pronouncing as Sencha for the last five years. 
Oh, I don't know. I don't think it's the T that he's referring to. I think it's just something else. Oh, okay. Well, perhaps. I also enjoyed some of the jokes that honestly were dumb, like about sexism, like where the private eye is like, this is really bad for business. Husbands don't want their wives tailed anymore. They know if they're sneaking out now, they're just looking for a job. Yes. And I was like, okay, I left. What was your worst scene? I don't know if I had one. See, this is what I'm saying. I didn't dislike it. I was just kind of like, oh, this happened. Trying to think if there was anything that affronted me besides my confusion about why you'd have a rice paddy hat in the city. Yeah, I, I feel like that was like my only thing where I was like, oh, okay, this this racist, like, I don't know, collection montage. There was a thing that I was like, I don't know if I should still find this funny, but I, I, I understood its intent as a joke. Like I liked sort of when Ewan McGregor was like, she was saying yes, but any man could tell she really meant no. And Niles was like, uh-uh. But... I don't know. I think I was like, I feel like in the 90s and early 2000s, a lot of people were very like, we are past all of these issues. And 20 years later, we're like living in the end times. Yeah. So I don't know. It, it was interesting to watch from like such a less happy America place. Yeah, I think it's like an interesting perspective because obviously I watched it, you know, when it came out. So it feels it's interesting to hear your perspective on it. I think when you watch a movie, and this is true with a lot of our older rom-coms, that when I watch something that I initially watched a lot at the time, I'm able to kind of go back to who I was then. Right. And here I was like, oh, okay. Like, I see where what this would have felt like in 2000, but it's not how I feel now. But at the same time, I always try to remember that when we watch older stuff. I will say that you and I love a good pun, and this movie was like 80% pun. Yeah, maybe that's why I... <laughs> I liked it. <laughs> the people like puns. What can you do? It's true. How many POC were? So few. Yes, very so few. Very few. <laughs> like, basically um, not. I, I think there might have been one, like, stripper or, like, club dancer. Like, whatever that was when they're at that, like, gentleman's club or whatever, there's a bunch of women and one of them may have been black. Renee Zellweger's self-help book was not intersectional, I must say, so. (laughs) (laughs) And then I think I just wrote Chinese people, oh dear. Maybe there were more later. Uh, Based on the geisha joke that I wrote down, I I think that they must have been at a Chinese, at a Japanese restaurant. They were at like some sort of Chinese, Japanese restaurant. It was kind of unclear which kind of Asian it was. Um, which is fits with the tone of this movie. Yes. Yeah, so it, it was something, something like that. But you didn't see an Asian person. At the restaurant? Oh, okay. Because <laughs> they were in their own room. They were like essentially at their like own little oh, space. Oh, right. Because he was at the screen. He had no shoes. That was the whole joke. Yeah. Matt predicted he would fall through one of those screens. And I was surprised that didn't happen. This was the kind of movie where I was, like, predicting jokes as we went. Like, when she developed her rival magazine, I was like, is it going to be called Yes Magazine? But it was called Now Magazine. I was kind of close. Yeah. So maybe only for very badly represented people of color. Yes. What would you rate it? I literally wrote, like, I don't even know. Like, five, six, three. I think I found it funny, but had more feelings about Niles and Sarah Paulson than Ewan and Renee. And I don't know what that means. Like, as a movie, it's probably decent. As a film, I would give it, like, a seven. I I still like this film. I think it's fun. I think if you had the opportunity to watch it and not pay money, like, I would take it. But I I wouldn't pay money to watch this. (laughs) 
I guess, like, I don't know. Maybe I'd give it, like, a five or a six. Okay. That that seems like a a reasonable compromise. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I It's weird. Like, I felt like I was complaining or raising questions for the entire film, but I ultimately enjoyed it. I, you've said that several times throughout the course of this recording. I know but it doesn't sound like I enjoyed it. It sounds like you did not like this. I just, I didn't, I, I think I was burned by expectations. I feel like you, the fact that you own this movie and Matt was so looking forward to watching it really made me feel like I was going to really enjoy this movie. And I think it would be a stretch to say that I really enjoyed this movie. It would it would probably be accurate to say that I enjoyed many parts of this movie while not necessarily enjoying it as a whole. That's fair. I enjoyed like nearly all the jokes and scenes, but felt empty because I, I don't know that these people should should they... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, for sure. I mean, you can't take them seriously as actual people. So that's part of the issue, yes. right? It's like they're not real also, characters. his name is Catcher Block. Yeah. Why? It just, Was it just so they could have that one joke where she says, catch, and he turns around? I, maybe. I don't know. I mean, just for kicks? I think, like, again, like, if you're looking for, like, you know, a romantic comedy because you want to have, like, fuzzy feelings, like, this is not for you. I just, I didn't know. Also, I think I was much like La La Land. I was like, why wasn't there more singing? Yeah, but if you're looking for, like, a fun, kind of tropey, um, you know, lots of punny jokes, you know, and it happens to take place in the 60s and you want to ogle costumes, then yeah, this is oh my god, for the you. Costumes. The costumes were incredible. I deleted a lot of those notes, but there was a lot of me being like, her dress, their outfits. Yeah. It does kind of remind me of like um, how to lose, uh, how to succeed in business without really trying in, in some ways as well. Oh, yes. Because it has a similar sort of like satirical, like jokey tone. Sexism about like women and men in the office and. Yeah. How to Succeed is definitely another one where you and I are like, I don't know why I love this, but I do. Yeah, exactly. So, yes, I think I was texting you the other day being like, some of these songs are like so discordant and weird, but like, I love the musical. I know. I don't love all the music in How to Succeed, but I love the show for some inexplicable reason. But even now, like when I re-listen, I'm kind of like, oh, I'm fond of even the songs like I don't like. I think we're just sentimental because we did it in high school. Yeah. Not Neither of us was in it. But, oh, speaking of musicals, though, is Sarah Paulson also musical? I don't know. Because with the other three, like, I would just like to suggest that someone make Down With Love the musical if they haven't. I wonder if it exists, actually. It might. We should look it up right. and post about it on Instagram. Yeah. Okay. Well, ultimately, I'm sorry that <laughs> you didn't have a better time <laughs> watching Down With Love. I'm glad that I watched it. Now I know. I honestly think I would have watched the entire movie to see Niles' apartment and to see him struggle with Sarah Paulson and not be able to find his shoes. So it's okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, please follow us on social media and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you to Hannah Oatman, who composed our theme music, and Alexandra Oatman, who painted our logo art. You can follow Alexandra on Twitter at, at Alexandra. Special thanks to Quincy Surasmith for advising us on the art of the podcast. Subscribe to his wonderful podcast, Asian Americana, at wherever you get your podcasts. Want more Romcomathon? You can read past reviews at romcomathon2016.tumblr.com and follow us at romcomathon2016 on Facebook and Twitter and romcomathon on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. Please subscribe and rate Romcomathon on iTunes. Thank you.